Lovely welcome. Can everyone hear me okay? Welcome to church. If, uh, if this is your first experience of church this morning, I don't know everyone in here this morning, but if this is your first experience of church and you don't normally come, welcome. I hope you find what you're looking for. And if you don't, do not leave. Do not leave this place without getting what you came here for. If you've made the effort to come all this way, whether it's your first time this morning, whether you normally come to church, think about this. If you've made the effort to sacrifice your, I'd like to say you're lying on a Sunday morning, but we had that anyway, didn't we, with the extra hour in bed? But if you've made the effort to come out this morning and come to church, why would you then leave? Why would you come all this way, give up all that time to leave without getting what you came here for? Do not leave this place without getting what you came here for. Seek, speak to someone, grab someone, grab hold of someone and say, I'm not leaving this place. I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you leave this building until I get what I've got, what I came here for. Do that. Do whatever it takes to get because God's got for you this morning. I want to promise you that 100%. I really believe that. Proverbs. Um, I'm going to touch on some of the stuff that I shared last Sunday night and just expand on it a little bit more. It's not something I'd normally do, but the feedback from the message was was of that way, of that needs kind of expansion, it needs going over a little bit more. One of the verses I touched on just very briefly was Proverbs. It says, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart, think about this for a moment, above all else. That's what it says in Proverbs. Different translations can put it in different ways, but each of them, that's the gist of what it's saying. Guard your heart above all else. Above all else. For it determines the course of your life. For out of it flows the issues of life. Different ways of putting that, but essentially what it's saying, and I like the New Living Translation puts it really well, for it determines the course of your life. It is the driver, the driving force of your life, your heart. Your heart is the driving force of your life. Now you might be thinking, hold on, the Bible says lots of other things are the driving force of our life. God and loads of different things and the Holy Spirit and I've heard about this and I've heard about that. I want to tell you, this is not wrong. This is absolutely right because it fits in with everything else. Your heart, the word heart in the Hebrew, it's the, the word is leb. Now, I'm not Hebrew, so I could be pronouncing that wrong, okay? But the word is leb. It's got some funny little symbol above the E. So I don't know whether that's leb or leb, but it's leb. That's how I'm reading it. And that word means beliefs. But deeper than that, it means feelings. It actually means feelings, Now, we can be very quick to dismiss feelings. In fact, we're doing a series at the moment. It's up there on the screen, The Truth About. We're doing a series on The Truth About. What is the truth? When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Pontius Pilate. When he said, what is truth? What is truth? What is truth? He didn't know. He did not know what truth was, and he had to ask Fancy being in that situation where you don't know what truth is. 
How on earth can you ever get to the end of your life and say, I have fulfilled everything, I have done it, I can rest in peace, when you don't know what truth is? I heard something about Mother Teresa, and apparently... Now, let me just clarify something before I say what she, what she said, apparently. Mother Teresa it was a, um, a Catholic. Now, I, I love Catholics. I love everyone. That, the Bible tells me to love everyone, and I do. I don't agree with everything about the Roman Catholic faith or their beliefs, shall we put it that way. I don't believe, I don't agree with what the Roman Catholic Church puts out. And we're going to look at why. We're not talking about Roman Catholics this morning. That's not the point of it. But I just want to put this in because I'm talking about Mother Teresa. But she apparently said this. One of her greatest pleasures in life, and I thought this was quite inspirational, was to see people dying with a smile on their face. It's going off again, isn't it? We are in the process of getting this sorted. This one, Neil? One, two? No, other one? One, two, yeah. So Mother Teresa said one of her greatest pleasures in life was to see people dying with a smile on their face. How do you die with a smile on their face? your face. In fact, as I'm saying this, something that, that I, I was really keen that I didn't miss out in my notes as I was praying about this sermon and, and, and thinking it through, something that came to me really powerfully was, I felt like God saying to me, Barry, there's some or one or two in this place this morning and they've got thoughts of suicide. Suicide is on their mind. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've come here this morning because you, you, you've given up on life. You've given up on it. You've given up on, on keeping going. Life seems to have no meaning for you, no purpose. Maybe you've had thoughts of suicide. Maybe you've even attempted suicide. Maybe you've not told anyone about it. Maybe you have told people about it and they've not listened to you. I want to tell you, listen to this word. I believe this is going to help you this morning. I genuinely believe this is going to help you this morning. You see, I believe our goal in life, or one of our major goals, should be to die with a smile on your face. If you can die in that moment, at the end of your life, to die with a genuine, I'm not on about a fake smile, I'm on about, I'm about a genuine smile on your face of peace, of love, of contentment, of rest. I think you need two things to be able to die with a smile on your face. And I think the first thing is you need hope. If you want to die with a smile on your face, you have got to have hope. Think about what that word means, hope. I, I prefer faith than hope most of the time because faith is more certain. But the word, the true biblical meaning of the word hope is hope in a future, hope in life after death, hope in Jesus as the saviour of the world, that all of this life is not a waste of time, that actually at the end of it, we don't just die and it was like, oh well, we had a, like, a nice life, but it's meaningless now because we go to the grave and that's blackness and that's nothing. There's just total obliteration. No, the word true meaning of hope in the Bible is that there is a life after death. There is a future. There is a heaven. We can look forward to something greater. Come on. 
So I believe if you want to die with a smile on your face, you've got to have hope. And the other thing I think is in that moment, because lots and lots of people will talk about this and and back this up. I know a couple of ex-policemen and they talk about this when they've been at the side of someone who's dying. And maybe some of you in this place have had this experience. In that moment when you're dying, when you know you're dying, particularly if you've got a little bit of time and you know it's, it's imminent, you know it's coming. In that moment, there's got to be a certain clarity. There's got to be a clarity of thought. There's got to be things, all, the, all, the, all the extra hour in work and, and all, the, all the faff of life, all the fluff of life, they suddenly surely meaningless in that moment. Maybe someone in here has even faced that. Maybe you've been in a position where you could have died in a moment and you know what that means. So in that moment, if you really want to die with a smile on your face, You've got to be feeling it. You've got to be feeling that hope. That hope has got to be so certain that you can grab hold of it. It is tangible. It is certain. It is sure. And true biblical faith, true biblical hope, sorry, to be more specific, is certain. It is tangible, it is sure, and it is certain. And I think if we want to have that experience, then we've got to have a hope at the end, and we've got to be feeling that hope. It cannot be false. In that moment, if it's false, there's not going to be a real smile. You might be crying out. You might be in fear. You might be in fear about your loved ones. You might be in fear about your life ending. You might be in fear about where you're going. It's got to be real. It's got to be certain. I shared at the beginning of last week, last Sunday night, about an experience we had as a family. Just a silly thing, nothing too serious, but it was at the time for us. And Vicky was driving uh, last Sunday, uh, sorry, last week, I think it was on the Saturday, and we had a, a, a day, a lot of stuff we had to get done. It, we were under a bit of pressure, you might say, to get stuff done, and we really needed to get this stuff done on the Saturday. It, it, there was lots of pressures to bear on us, and I'd left early to, to make a start on it. Vicky was following on with the kids. I got a phone call off her on the way, basically saying the car's playing up. I don't know what's up with it. It's making funny noises. And then she, and I think it was Eleanor actually on the phone, uh, my daughter. And then it basically what, what it turned out was there was a flat tire. So in one sense, nothing too serious. I drove off to go and meet them to go and change the tire. Realized that as most modern cars, you don't get a spare tire anymore. You get this tube of gel that you spray into the tire and that's meant to fix it. What a load of rubbish that stuff is. Anyone had that experience, don't rely on that. It is a waste of time. It doesn't work. There's a tire-sized hole in the boot that you could easily fit a tire in. Instead of in this massive hole that you could fit a tire in, they put a tube of gel in there to spray into the tire. What a rip-off that is. So, and then to make it worse, I realized that you had to get the valve out. I mentioned this last Sunday night. You've got to get the valve out to be able to get this gel in. And I'm suddenly like, how do we get the valve out? But I'm feeling it. I'm like, hey, I can do this. 
So I, get, I managed to get the valve out. That ingenuity's coming around. I found a little screwdriver. You know, and, you know, when you're in that moment and you're like, I can do this. I've got this. I'm all over this. I'm feeling it. I'm like, I'm the hero. I'm going to rescue my wife. I'm going to fix this tire for her. I'm going to be the man and all of this stuff. And then literally as I popped the little valve out, if you've seen what a valve looks like in a tire, it is a tiny little metal thing. And it popped out and fell down the grid. That just literally, that was literally below the tire. I'm like, of all the places that wheel could have stopped, anywhere, like there's about a quarter of a mile before the next grid, and it's like over the grid. At that point, that great faith was tested. It was struggling, I'll be honest with you. And the kids are coming round, and, and they're perhaps feeling the tension. Now, in that moment, I had a choice. And I want to talk about beliefs. I'm talking about beliefs. And in that moment, I had a choice to either go, well, this is just terrible. Life just sucks. Look at that. Of all the places, flipping grid right there, right in front of the tire. And, and now it's down there. And what am I supposed to do? Am I meant to get out of this? Life sucks. It's no good. I had a choice of kind of going down that route or going down the route of, no, we're going to sort this out. We're going to fix this problem. I was waving somewhere in the middle, I'll be honest. I was trying to stay in the good bit, and, and I feel like I'm being dragged towards the, the kind of life sucks, it's all woe is me, and it's all terrible, and how bad is it? I could have either give up, or I could have had faith. And there was a little bit of faith in there. Fortunately, you only need it the size of a mustard seed, it says. So I, I, my, my son came over, and he said to me, he said, Dad, why don't you lift the grid? Now, I'll be honest, I'm dismissing this thought at first, because I'm thinking, no, you can't just lift these grids. You need a man to do it. You need a tool to do it. You need a machine or something. They're heavy. They generally get stuck. And I'm kind of dismissing him in my mind. And then he's saying it again. I think Vicky might have even said, well, Barry, why don't you just try it? And so I tried it, and believe me, if I had ever been feeling in a negative sense, I'd have dismissed that, I'd have gone, don't be stupid, you'll never lift the grid, and I wouldn't even bother, but we tried it, lifted the grid, fortunately there was a load of leaves in the grid, got my hand in, got the valve out, put it all in, and I'd like to say we fixed the car with the gel, but the gel didn't work, so we still had to get phone up there, but anyway, but faith is knowing. How many times have we faced a problem and we've been like, oh, in that frame of mind, woe is me, it's all terrible, I'm never going to sort it out, I'm never going to fix it. Faith knows. doesn't just believe, it knows it's going to work out in the end. And there was that voice inside me saying, Barry, no matter what happens here, even if, even if the car can't be fixed, it's all going to be all right in the end. It's going to work out okay. That's faith. That's knowing that God is with us. But it's a feeling as well. Do you realize that? There's a feeling to that. There's a feeling inside. Have I had that experience? You're just, you're just feeling down. You're feeling like you can't do it. That's your heart. That's your heart. Your heart is where your feelings are stored. And, and they come from your beliefs. They come from your beliefs. Our beliefs are crucial. And I want you to know why. And the first thing I picked up from this story was, well, listen to this. 
Now, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 7. Apostle Paul, greatest teacher in the New Testament, he says this. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities that the Spirit gives us, how many of us, how many of us are asking, what is my special ability? What is my gift? Why am I here? What's the point of me being here? And Paul goes on to say this, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I want you to be certain. I want you to be certain about your reason for being here. I want you to be certain about your purpose, the meaning of your life. You are not just here by chance. God has a meaning. He has a reason. He has a purpose for your life. I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you are still pagans, non-believers... You were led astray and swept along in worshipping speechless idols, football, television, Coronation Street, careers, jobs, you name it, idols, money, where you live, what car you drive, what clothes you wear, who your friends are. So I want you to know that no one Speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying that God's gifts, think about this for a moment. God's gifts don't insult the maker. God's gifts do not insult the maker. If you're a Christian in this place, let me beseech you as the phrase that Paul would use. I think that's a great phrase. I know it's a bit archaic, but it, it, it's imploring. It's, it's saying, please, please think about this. This is so important. Do not insult the maker, your maker, with your life, with your gifts. Make sure that you use your gifts, your tongue, your life, the way you behave, the way you act. To bless God. To bless him. Not to insult him. Not to curse him. But to bless him. He goes on to say about there being different kinds of gifts. It's the same spirit that works in each of us. And then he says at the end, the spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. My answer came through my 15-year-old son who I could have very easily have dismissed and gone, what do you know? Who are you? You're only 15. You don't even drive. How would you know how to get a grid open? How would you know how to sort this problem out? But we need each other, church. We need each other. No matter how small you think your gift is, no matter how small you think what you bring to the table is, if my son hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have got that valve back in. I wouldn't have been a, had a chance of getting it sorted. We need each other. We are all created with a purpose. And it's crucial. And it's important. But by the faith that was in me, I was able to listen. I was able to listen. That faith gave me the eyes to, to see, the ears to hear that, hey, hold on, he might have something here. God might be trying to speak to me through a 15-year-old boy. If I'd have been like, I can't do it, life sucks, it's all terrible, there's no hope, this ain't going to work, 
I wouldn't have sorted it. I would have never got to it. But I needed the right beliefs that gave me the faith, that gave me the feelings, the, the power. It's power. Do you realize that? It actually gives us power. God wants to give you power. He wants, the Bible talks over and over about being given an authority. He wants you to be powerful people for him. He doesn't want us to be sat there like we've got nothing to offer the world. He wants us to be powerful. He wants us to overcome in every situation, in every circumstance. But how can you do that? How can you have genuine feelings of power? If you don't believe, if you don't have faith. You see, when your beliefs are right in your heart, the feelings follow. The feelings follow. You realize what you've got. You realize what you are able of. And that give, gave me, in that situation, eyes to see. We were designed to work together and we have to. We have to. It is not an option. If we want to fulfill our calling, our destiny, what God has got for us, if you want to die with a smile on your face, you need to work together. All of us, we've got to work together. You want to have that genuine smile on your face at the end of your life. Well, you know, you've ran the race. You've done what you needed to do. You're at peace, genuine, true peace. We've got to work together. We've got to be united. We've got to be one. We've got to be. If we want to fulfill our destiny. I'll read it again. Paul puts it really well in 1 Corinthians 12. 12 to 25, he says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some are free. Think about that. In Paul's day, in that culture, some were Jews, some were Gentiles, some were even slaves. Slaves. Yet he's saying, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. There's a higher calling. And it is who you are in Christ. It is who you are in God. That is higher than your social status. It is higher than your bank balance. It is higher than where you live. It is higher than your career title. It is higher than your job. It is higher than anything. It is above all. But we have all been baptized into one body. One body. That book wasn't about what I just said. It was about the bit before about being Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free. And some of you live in Widnes. Some of you live in Warrington. Some of you live in, w in Wigan. Some of you live here. Some of you live there. means nothing. It means nothing. Yeah, great. You all live in different places. You've all got different bank balances. You all drive different cars. Some of you don't even drive. Some of you have big jobs. Some of you have lower jobs. Some of you feel like you're, you're, you're in a great position and your leaders in your workplace. Some of you just get told what to do in your workplace. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we are all share the same spirit. 
Yes, the human body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less of a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less of a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Could you imagine that? I picked on someone last week who had beautiful eyes, I was told, by her husband. She said, imagine, as beautiful as your eyes are, as gorgeous as your eyes are. These are in the words of a husband, by the way, not, not mine. That would be inappropriate. <laughs> imagine if you were just an eye. One big, massive eye. That's it. No eyelashes, no nothing, just a big, massive eye. Like, it reminds me of something off Monsters, Inc. That big eye that goes round and is that good looking? No matter how good looking the eye is, on its own, is it good looking? I don't care how beautiful you've been told your eyes are. Your eyes on their own, they are weird. Come on. How strange a body that would be if it only had one part. He goes on, he says this at the end, he says, this makes for harmony among the, the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Don't be the one to make all the parts suffer. Be the one to make all the parts glad. Be the one that encourages. Be the one that sows. Be the one that exalts and lifts up and carries the burden and, and does all of that thing. Because in that, every part, every part is lifted up. Every part feels better. Do you know, I succeed. I succeed when we all pull together. You succeed when we all pull together. When we all pull together as individuals, we all rise. We all succeed. We all improve. We are all greater. We are far greater together than we are on our own. Far, far greater because God says it. We're designed to work together. Anyone ever let anyone down? Ever had that feeling where you've kind of, you've failed someone? You've kind of, maybe you promised them something and you didn't fulfill it. Maybe you lied about them. Maybe you thought bad of them and it wasn't right. Or maybe it was just, maybe it was your parents when you were a kid. Maybe it's someone right now. Maybe there's someone you know right now there's an issue and you've got to, it's not right and it's weighing on you. That's the sin problem. That's the sin problem. Think about it. When, when you're in that situation where it's wrong with someone, it's, it's not right, the, the natural tendency, the most basic kind of um, driving force, if you like, is to do what? Is to avoid them. Is to avoid them. When you've wronged someone, remember when you were a kid and you were naughty, did you want to go home and see your mum and dad? Or did you, were you like dreading going home? Now, some of you have learned that, hey, you know, when I'm in that situation, go quickly, put it right, sort it out, because that's actually the least painful thing. Anyone know that? Anyone realize that? 
I, I want to, listen, if you, if you learn nothing else from this message this morning, learn that when you're in that situation, go and put it right. Go and make peace with that person. Go and fix it. Do everything you can to live peaceably with all men because the alternative is pain. And it's pain that lasts and lingers. And it's just, it's a slow death. It's a slow eating away. But when you go and put it right, it might feel painful to, as you're approaching the door or you're walking up to them or whatever. But you know what? The joy when that is sorted in that moment when it's gone is so much greater. Far, far greater. Far superior. But our natural feeling when we've let someone down is to avoid them. It's to avoid them. That feeling, it's hard to be around someone unless that problem is fixed. And that is the sin problem because we have all failed God. All of us. Every single one of us. I don't care how good you think you are, we've all failed him. So the natural human response is we want to stay away from him. And one of the first things to go is church. One of the first things to go is church. So people go, hey, going to church, meeting God, I've kind of messed up. I, I, I can't, oh no, I can't go to church. I've got to stay away. It's actually the, the exact opposite. But why? Because we associate, what do we associate with church? God's presence. God's presence. Prayer goes like, oh, I can't pray. I can't, I can't pray. Oh, I've let God down. I just, how can I go and pray? How can I speak to God? Can't read the Bible. Can't, I can't pick up the. I, I might touch it. My hand might burn or something. I, I can't. I can't touch the Bible. I can't. Can't pray. Can't get down on my knees. But come face to face with God. A, a thunderbolt might strike me down. I, I can't do that. I, worship. I can't. I, don't, turn that worship music off. I don't want to listen to that worship music. Or you hear it. Maybe your partner or whatever they're putting it on, and you're like, just turn it off. I don't want to listen to that. Can't you put something else? on. Can't you put something a bit more? Why do you have to listen to that worship music all the time? Not so daft really is it when you think about it because in the beginning, in the beginning, when God created the first humans, Adam and Eve, they were in his presence. Just permanently in his presence. No sin. No sin. No shame. No embarrassment, just there, basking almost. Like being on the beach, I would imagine, but far better. Just basking in God's presence. Seeing him face to face, talking with him. All of those things, no shame, no embarrassment, just living in God's presence. But, but, what happened? Sin. Sin happened. They were tempted, and then they sinned. And then what happened when they sinned? Well, then what happened is, God puts it this way. He says, God came to them and started looking for them, and he couldn't find them. Why? Because they'd hidden. They'd hidden. They'd hidden from him. Just like we do from church, or from prayer, or from worship. 
They'd hidden from him. They'd hidden from his presence. So what happened next? God said, okay, I'll sort this problem out for you because you can't fix it. You can't put it right. So he made the sacrifice for them. He sacrificed for them to put them right. So the sacrifice put them right and, and, and made them right. There was other consequences of it, but one of, one of them was banished. Banished from the garden. Banished from his presence. Then God says, okay, so they're banished from my presence now, but I don't want them completely banished because that's not my heart. I didn't design man to live in apart from me. I never designed any of you. God is speaking to you right now. He did not design any of you. Some of you, someone in here now needs to hear this. God did not design you to live apart from him. He designed you to live in his presence, to be with him. He wants communion with you. He wants fellowship with you. I know they're archaic words. He wants to be mates with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be your friend. God wants to be your friend. God wants to be your friend. So one of the first things he did was he, he, he designed a holy of holies, a place where his presence would dwell and man could come and meet with him. But the sin problem hadn't just gone away. It had got no better. If anything, it got worse. It hadn't got better. It had got worse. So God had to make a way that man could come into his presence, into his holy of holies. And, and the holy of holies was the bit right in the middle. You can read about this in the Old Testament, and, but there was this bit right in the middle, and there was a veil that covered it. And later on, in, in the temple, there was a veil in the holy of holies that, that, that meant that you couldn't go in there. In the very early days, the priest used to go in there just once a year. He'd have to sanctify himself. He'd have to make sacrifices and do everything to make sure he hadn't missed the sin out, that he was pure, that he was pure, that he was right, so that he could step into God's presence. Because if he didn't, if he got it wrong, he'd be struck down because he couldn't abide in God's presence. And so there was this veil, and in fact, I'm going to go over here. I kind of did this a little bit last week. He would go to, to the veil, he'd, he'd cleanse himself. He'd make sure, he'd, he'd made sure there was nothing wrong with him. He'd make sacrifices and everything and, and, and sort that all out. He'd tie a rope around his ankle in case he died in there because no one else could go in and get his dead body. And then he would step into his presence. It's amazing. It's awesome. The presence of God. His very presence. But that was once a year. One man, once a year. That's no good to us, is it? It's no good to you. It's no good to me. 
It's not even good for the priest. He can only go in once a year. He's going in in fear. But the Bible says that when Jesus came and was crucified on the cross, the one and only sacrifice, the, the veil of the temple, I'd like to go and rip it down, but Paul wouldn't be too happy with me. <laughs> the veil of the temple was tore in two. Tore in two. Literally. Think about this thought for a moment. How can there be a holy of holies if there is no veil? See, the veil's job was to be the barrier to protect God's presence. And behind it was the holy of holies. God's presence was behind that veil. But if the veil, if God has tore the veil in two, if God has tore the veil in two, if there is no veil, then where's his presence? Where's his presence? I'll tell you where his presence is. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's his holy Spirit, God's presence, Emmanuel, the Bible puts it, God with us. His very presence that comes and dwells amongst men, in men, with men. We can no longer hide from his presence. There's nowhere you can go, the Bible says, where you can get away from his presence. Wherever you go, his presence, if you have his Holy Spirit, if you are a genuine believer, is with you. And that is why I don't believe in what the Roman Catholic Church believes, because they believe you've got to go to a priest. They believe you've got to pray through Mary to get to God's presence. They believe that you've got to go to the Pope if you want to if, they, if you want to be a saint, you've got to die and then someone's got to decide that your life was worthy enough for you to be a saint. But the Bible calls us all saints. The Bible says if you're a believer, you are a saint. The Bible says I'm a saint. Forget St. Paul, I'm a saint. St. Barry, St. Vicky, St. Tony, St. everyone. We're saints. You are saints. We have his presence with us. We no longer have to make sacrifices to be right with God. We are forgiven. We are free. The weight of sin that keeps us from his presence, that keeps us from God. The price has been paid. It was a once and for all price. Once. When Jesus died on the cross, he, the Bible says he did it once for all sin, for all man's sin, for all sin, every time, everywhere. So you don't have to keep going back and paying the price. You don't have to go back to God and say, hey God, can you forgive me for this? Can you forgive me for that? Going through all the things and thinking, but maybe I didn't put this right. Maybe I haven't fixed this problem. Because they've all been covered. All your sins, all my sins, all of them covered by that one act, what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the price for it all. Listen to what the Bible says. It is so powerful. Hebrews 4, 12 to 16 says this, For the Word of God is alive. It is alive. The Bible describes it as the living Word. It is alive and it is powerful. It is powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. 
That's a hard one to say, isn't it? It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Christ is our high priest. Christ is our high priest. But this is the best bit. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, this high priest of ours, of yours, of mine, this high priest of ours, of ours, he understands our weaknesses. He understands your failings. He understands how you feel. He may not agree with them, but he understands them. Why? Because he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. He did not sin because he is powerful. You can trust him because he overcame sin. He overcame it all. He did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Not behind some veil that isn't there anymore, that doesn't exist. You don't have to stay away from church. You don't have to stay away from praying. You don't have to stay away from worship music. It ain't going to strike you dead. You're not going to walk in this place and a thunderbolt's going to come down and strike you. Because there the throne of our gracious God we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most 1 John 2, 1-2 says this my dear children I am writing this to you so that you will not sin I'm telling this to you this morning not so that you'll just go off and sin and whatever, it's so you won't sin it's so you're free not to sin because when you sin and you don't know that you're free, what happens is you stay away from church and what happens when you stay away from church and from God and his presence and prayer and worship and all of those things do you think the sin gets any better or do you think it gets worse worse this is so we won't sin You're free, so you won't sin. You're free, so you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Come on. Hallelujah. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. All those believers out sorry, all those non-believers out there. All those ones out there. All of them. He's paid the price for them, not just for us. Who in your world do you need to be telling this? Who in your world do you need to be brave with? Who do you need to be bringing to this place? Who do you need to be bringing here? Who do you need to be talking to? And all of this is so that your leb, your heart, from out of the driving force of your life, your heart, that from out of all of the direction and the issues and the things of your life flow, your feelings will be right 
the love of God hidden in your heart. The peace of God hidden in your heart. The joy of God hidden in your heart. The very peace of God. This is true life, church. This is true life. Love the love of God, which leads to faith, which leads to truth, which leads to power, which leads to authority, which leads to our calling and our destiny and us fulfilling it, which leads us to that very day when we die with a smile on our faces. Does anyone want to die with a smile on their face? <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday. <laughs> Just end with this, 1 John 4, 7 to 18. I think this is the most powerful verses of all. Worship team, you can get ready. I need a couple of more minutes, not many more, two more minutes. Uh, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who doesn't love, anyone who does not love, the problem is in the heart. The problem is in the heart. They don't know God. They don't know the love of God. They don't know his unending forgiveness that never runs out, that you can never overuse. They don't know it. They don't know it. The ones who hate, the ones who backbite, the ones who are nasty and cruel and vicious, they don't know God. They don't know him. Because, verse 9 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have what? Eternal life through him. Eternal life through him. When you know God, when you know his love, you will die with a big beaming smile across your face because that is true love. That is true life. Verse 10 says this is real love. Not that we loved God. So many, so many religious people think it's all about us loving God. Anyone think that? Come on, be honest. Come on. Anyone not think that? All the good Christians went, no, I don't think that because I know the Bible says it's not. But the truth is, anyone think that 24-7? No. Because we all have moments where we kind of feel like, hey, I need to be, I need, it's about me. I've got to be loving God. I've got to be doing this. But that's not what the Bible says. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. Just move on a few verses just to round this up. It says this, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. On the day you die, you will not be afraid. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. This is the proof. No fear of death. Dying with a smile on your face because such love has no fear because perfect love 
expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not experienced, we've not fully experienced his perfect love. Let's stand. Let's worship him for a moment. Come on, church.